Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to episode 232 of Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World, where we look at mysteries from the twin perspectives of faith and reason. In this episode, we're talking about the miraculous spiral staircase of the Loretto Chapel in Santa Fe, New Mexico. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today is Jimmy Akin. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. In the 1800s, a group of nuns from Kentucky came to the frontier town of Santa Fe. The new bishop helped them build a chapel, but a shocking event happened with the architect, and he died before it was completed. The sisters realized he had left no plans for how they could get from the ground floor to the choir loft of the chapel. So it's reported that they made a nine-day novena to St. Joseph, the patron saint of carpenters, and on the ninth day, a mysterious workman showed up and built them an amazing spiral staircase. Well, why is this spiral staircase amazing? Who built it? And could he have been St. Joseph himself? That's what we'll be talking about on this episode of Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World. Now, Jimmy, I understand you recently received a letter that has a bearing on today's mystery. Can you tell us what it said? I did. This is a letter from Dan M., who is a regular listener to the show, and he encloses a small donation and then says, Please consider doing a Mysterious World episode on the miraculous staircase built in the chapel of some nuns in Santa Fe, New Mexico. The nuns believe that it was built by St. Joseph himself. A Hollywood movie was made about this story starring movie actress Barbara Hershey. Thank you, Dan M. And I just happened to get this this week, and by a strange coincidence, we were recording this episode on Saturday. So I thought I'd, uh, I thought I'd let him know. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, that it's uh, the co- the coincidences are very mysterious. <laughs> yeah. So, Jimmy, do you have a personal connection to this story? Uh, my personal connection with the story is how I first learned about it. Back in the late 1980s and 1990s, my wife and I were fans of the program Unsolved Mysteries with Robert Stack. In 1990, the show was in its third season. And on November 21st, 1990, when we sat down to watch, we heard this. <laughs> When we return, the legend of the Miracle Staircase in Santa Fe, New Mexico. No one knows who built this mysterious and ethereal structure. Santa Fe, New Mexico is a city rich in the tradition and lore of the Old West. A century and a half ago, it was the last outpost along the Santa Fe Trail, a bustling, untamed haven for outlaws, gamblers, mavericks, and renegades. In 1852, the Sisters of Loretto, a religious order in Kentucky, dispatched seven nuns to bring religion and education to the frontier. It was a journey fraught with danger, harsh weather, hostile Indians, and disease. The episode went on to tell the story of the mystery that we're going to be discussing today, and so that's how I first learned about it. And I thought it would be nice to mention it since Unsolved Mysteries was one of the shows that I watched that helped inspire Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World. It was so great to hear that theme music and Robert Stack again after all these years. That is fantastic. 
So let's set the stage by talking about the place where the mystery occurs. It's set in Santa Fe, New Mexico. What can you tell us about that? Santa Fe is Spanish for holy faith, which is a reference to the Christian faith that was brought to the New World by missionaries, including ones from Spain. In 1521, after the Spanish conquered the Aztec Empire, Hernán Cortés named the territory New Spain, and it originally covered what now forms the western United States, Mexico, all of Central America, part of South America, and even part of Canada in the north, as well as the Philippine Islands and various other islands in the Pacific. New Spain was a monarchy, and its first king was Charles I. It lasted until 1821, when it was dissolved following the Mexican War of Independence and the founding of the Mexican Empire. The territory now known as New Mexico soon changed hands, though. Following the Mexican-American War that took place between 1846 and 1848, the territory became part of the United States, and in 1850, it became the official territory, not yet a state, of New Mexico. And it's at this point that a key figure enters our story. Who was he, and what should we know about him? His name was Jean-Baptiste Lamey, or Lamy, and he was born in France. He was born in 1814, and in 1838, at the age of 24, he was ordained a priest. He served as a priest in France for a few months, but the next year, in 1839, he asked for permission to become a missionary. Lamy was then sent to North America, where he served as a missionary priest in Ohio and Kentucky for about a decade. But in 1850, the same year that New Mexico became a U.S. territory, he was notified that Pope Pius IX had appointed him bishop of the newly created Apostolic Vicariate, not yet a diocese, of New Mexico. He was consecrated bishop later that year, and the next summer he arrived in Santa Fe. Wikipedia summarizes, Lamy entered Santa Fe on 9 August 1851 and was welcomed by the governor of the territory, James C. Calhoun, and many other citizens. However, Juan Felipe Ortiz, a Spanish priest who was responsible for administration of the Catholic Church in New Mexico, told Lamy that he and a local clergy did not recognize his authority and would remain loyal to Bishop Jose Antonio Loriano de Zuberia, of the Diocese of Durango, Mexico, who had visited Santa Fe just a few months before. So Bishop Lamy was brand new in town, and already he was dealing with a clergy rebellion. With the local priests refusing to acknowledge his authority and staying loyal to their former bishop in Mexico. Lamy wrote to Zuberia asking him to explain the change of responsibility to the New Mexico priests. When his request was unanswered, he went in person to Durango to meet with Zuberia showing him the papal document that appointed Lamy. In light of this, Zuberia had to agree to inform the priests of the change. Bishop Lamy was also seeking to improve the situation in Santa Fe. One of the things that he wanted to do was start a school for girls, and the next year, 1852, he invited a group of the Sisters of Loretto to come from Kentucky and found one. I assume that he met or at least learned about the sisters when he was serving as a missionary priest in Ohio and Kentucky in the 1840s, and now he was inviting them to come and pursue their educational ministry in New Mexico. Unsolved Mysteries picks up the story. 
1852, the Sisters of Loretto, a religious order in Kentucky, dispatched seven nuns to bring religion and education to the frontier. It was a journey fraught with danger, harsh weather, hostile Indians, and disease. When they were on their way, they were attacked by cholera. One of the sisters died, and one had to return because she was too ill to travel. So five sisters continued the trip to the West. This is an A. Once in Santa Fe, the sisters established a school. So now they had their school and began teaching the local New Mexican girls. In her booklet, Loretto and the Miraculous Staircase, author Alice Bullock writes, It was both a boarding and day school with the best families all over the northern part of the state, bringing their daughters to Loretto for their education, scholastic, musical, and spiritual. The great soft red brick buildings resounded to happy laughter, class recitations, choir and instrumental practice hours, and the rustle of the long black habits as the sisters hurried here and there. Lammy was pleased with the school happy that girls were being given the opportunity to learn as well as the boys further up the street at St. Michael's College. St. Michael's College was actually founded a few years later, so the Sisters Girls' School came first. It was founded in 1853, and also in 1853, the Apostolic Vicariate of New Mexico became a diocese, and so Bishop Lamy was its first diocesan bishop. Wikipedia summarizes, his early efforts as bishop were directed to reforming the New Mexico church, the building of more churches in the territory, the creation of new parishes, and the establishment of schools. He ended the practice of concubinage widely practiced by the local priests, and he suppressed religious brotherhood societies within individual communities. So he stopped priests from living with women as concubines, and he worked to suppress a local lay religious society known as Los Penitentes, or the Penitents. They were a kind of rogue society that had an uneasy relationship with the church and that eventually became a secret society. Wikipedia explains, Following Mexican independence from Spain in 1821, church authorities in Mexico withdrew the Franciscan, Dominican, and Jesuit missionaries from its provinces, replacing them with secular priests. They failed, however, to replace the missionaries with an equal number of priests, depriving many secluded communities of a resident clergyman. Accordingly, many of those small communities could expect only a once-yearly visit from a parish priest. The men in those communities eventually came together in the absence of a priest and dedicated themselves to the purpose of providing mutual aid, community charity, and to memorialize the spirit of penance and the passion of Christ. They gathered in meeting houses known as moradas, Los Penitentes were perhaps best known for their songs of worship called alabados and for their ascetic practices, which included self-flagellation in private ceremonies during Lent and processions during Holy Week, which ended with the reenactment of Christ's crucifixion on Good Friday. Archbishop Jean-Baptiste Lamy and his successor Jean-Baptiste Salpoint unsuccessfully attempted to suppress the Brotherhood in the latter part of the 19th century as a part of the Americanization of the Church in New Mexico driving its membership underground, with some seeking refuge in Penitente Canyon. For this reason, Los Penitentes are sometimes described as a secret society. Fortunately, Los Penitentes later reconciled with the church. They modified their rituals, they were recognized in 1947, and they still exist today. 
Back in the 1800s, though, they were still a rogue organization doing some pretty fringe stuff, like reenacting the crucifixion on Good Friday with one of their own members playing the role of Jesus. In 1869 and 1870, Bishop Lemay traveled to Rome to participate in the First Vatican Council, which, among other things, infallibly defined that the Pope can infallibly define things. Also, in 1869, he began building his diocesan cathedral. It's known as the Cathedral Basilica of St. Francis of Assisi. And having grown up in France, his tastes in church architecture were shaped by the churches he saw there, so he had his cathedral built in the Romanesque revival style. He also wanted the Sisters of Loretto to have their own chapel to go with their school, and so in 1873, he arranged for them to build Loretto Chapel, which is in the French neo-Gothic style, and is formerly known as the Chapel of Our Lady of Light. Today, it stands alone, but originally it stood between the school itself and the Sisters' convent both of which have been subsequently removed. Wikipedia explains that in 1873, Archbishop Jean-Baptiste Lamy had brought in two French architects, Antoine Mouly and his son Projectus, to work on the St. Francis Cathedral project, and suggested that the sisters could make use of their services on the side to build a much-needed chapel for the academy. Projectus ended up being the main architect for the project, basing his Gothic Revival design complete with spires, buttresses, and stained-glass windows imported from France via the Santa Fe Trail on the famous Saint-Chapelle in Paris. The chapel was built from locally quarried sandstone and took five years to complete, being officially consecrated in 1878. But Projectus Moulet would not live to see the chapel he designed for the sisters completed. Alice Bullock explains, Lamy inspected the progress as often as he could, talking with the young architect, chatting with Sister Blandina, and often, too, with his nephew and the nephew's lovely young wife. That lovely wife drew the attention of the young architect much too strongly. The bishop's nephew objected, and undoubtedly, there were many bitter quarrels. The nephew forbade the architects calling at their house, and his wife, with a streak of independence rare in that age, packed her bags and moved to the Exchange Hotel. The good ladies in the altar society whispered this astonishing bit of news and commented each in her own way. Did the bishop know? They dared not ask, nor did the church official give any public notice. The bishop's nephew, distraught at the disintegration of his marriage, sought out the architect and warned him yet again to stay away from his wife on pain of death. The architect ignored the threat and paid with his life. Young Lamy saw him emerge from his wife's room at the hotel, drew a pistol, and shot him. So Bishop Lamy's nephew shot the architect Projectus Moulet for having an affair with his wife and breaking up his marriage, so Projectus did not live to finish the chapel. This caused a problem because after the architect was dead, the sisters realized that the loft for the choir in the back of the chapel had been built, but there was no way to reach it. There was no ladder or staircase, and there was nothing marked in the plans to indicate how you were supposed to get up there. So the workmen finishing the chapel had nothing to work from. Unsolved Mysteries picks up the story. Many of the lofts of, of churches, early churches in New Mexico, had no staircases. They simply leaned a ladder up and climbed the ladder and sank. But the sisters couldn't climb a ladder in their long uh, robes, so they, they needed a staircase. <laughs> a conventional stairway was not feasible, as it would require the removal of too many seats. 
Zahn Carpenters had come in and looked the situation over, but shook their heads in dismay and said there was just no way. And so they decided that they would not do anything until they made a novena to St. Joseph, the patron of carpenters. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom. A novena requires nine days of meditation and regular prayer. As it is in heaven, give us this day. For eight days, the sisters prayed. Nothing happened. And forgive us our trespasses. the ninth and final day of the novena, a stranger arrived at the chapel. So maybe Projectus Mule didn't build a staircase in his plans because he assumed that the nuns would just climb up a ladder, like at other churches in New Mexico at the time. If so, that assumption was wrong, and after he died, the nuns needed to find another solution. They brought in carpenters to see what could be done, but the loft was 22 feet in the air and building a conventional staircase that tall would have required too many of the pews to be removed, so that wouldn't work for them. The sisters then decided to conduct a nine-day novena to St. Joseph, which was a logical choice since Jesus and his father were both woodworkers and St. Joseph is the patron saint of carpenters. For eight days, nothing happened, but on the ninth day, a man showed up. Alice Bullock explains, On the ninth day, Mother Superior was called back to her office. A workman wanted to see her. His burrow stood patiently outside the door, loaded with carpenter's tools. The man, no ordinary name has ever been ascribed to him, told Mother he felt he could solve the problem of the access to the choir loft. All he wanted was a couple of large water tubs and her permission. Mother Superior gave both, and he quietly went to work. Sisters going into the chapel to pray saw the tubs with wood soaking in them, but the man always withdrew while they said their prayers, returning to his work when the chapel was free. Some there are who say the circular stair which stands there today was built very quickly. Others say no, it took quite a little time. But the stair did grow, rising solidly in a double helix, without support of any kind, and without a nail or screw. The floor space used was minimal, and the stair adds to rather than detracts from the beauty of the chapel. The sisters were overjoyed and planned a fine dinner to honor the carpenter. Only he could not be found. No one seemed to know him, where he lived, nothing. Lumber yards were checked, but they had no bill for the Sisters of Loretto. They had not sold him the wood. Knowledgeable men went in and inspected the stair, and none knew what kind of wood had been used. Certainly nothing indigenous to this area. Advertisements for the carpenter were run in the local Santa Fe newspaper, the New Mexican, and brought no response. The sisters didn't know the workman's name, and now he was just gone. This led people to speculate that he might be St. Joseph himself, or an angel, or someone sent by St. Joseph. And with that, today's mystery is fully engaged. And before we get to our theories and our faith and reason perspectives, we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make this show possible, including Annie D., Stephanie D., Anne K., Todd H., and Rosemary P., their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. 
Jimmy Eakin's Mysterious World is also brought to you in part through the generous support of Aaron Ferguson Electric and Automation at AaronV.com. A-A-R-O-N-V.com. Making connections for life for your automation and smart home needs in North and Central Florida. And by Catechism Class, a dynamic weekly podcast journey through the Catechism of the Catholic Church. By Greg and Jennifer Willits. It's the best book club, coffee talk, and faith study group all rolled into one. Find it in any podcast directory. Jimmy, what theories are there about the spiral staircase? There are two principal mysteries that we need to look at. The first is the mystery of the staircase itself. It wasn't made from wood from the area, so what kind of wood was it made of? And as we'll hear, it was a remarkable piece of work that many people described as miraculous. But was it really supernatural, or can natural things account for its qualities? Second, there's the mystery of the workman himself. Was he really St. Joseph, or an angel, or was he an ordinary mortal? And if the latter, can we figure out who he was? So what can we say about the spiral staircase from the reason perspective? First, have we learned what kind of wood it was made from? In general terms, yes. A small piece of the wood was analyzed, and it's definitely spruce, which has been described as a light, strong, elastic type of wood, making it a good wood to build a freestanding staircase like this out of. But we don't know exactly what type of spruce it is. In his book, Real Life X-Files, Joe Nickel writes that there are 39 species of spruce in the world, 10 of which are found in North America. And the piece of wood that was analyzed was too small to make a more specific determination. So we know it's spruce, but not what specific species of spruce. In any event, it may not have been from nearby. I've seen it claimed that you need to go to Canada or Alaska to get this type of wood, but I don't know that's true because I checked, and I found that there are Engelmann spruce trees growing in the Carson National Forest in northern New Mexico. On the other hand, it could have been shipped from far away, even from Europe, where a lot of spruce grows. What about the staircase itself? People have described it as wondrous. Why is that? And could it really be a physical miracle? It's certainly an impressive staircase. Unsolved Mysteries explains. The carpenter obviously had to be a very fine carpenter. He had to be a master carpenter to build the staircase that was built. Because you see, there's no center support. This is what makes that staircase so extraordinary. There is no center post. It rests by its own geometric balance and design. It's very steep, 22 feet, going around and around because it makes two 360-degree turns. And once again, with no center post, there's a certain springiness when you walk up and you realize you're climbing a very, very special staircase. Sisters, I've counted the stairs. There's 33 exact number of years our Lord Jesus Christ was on this earth. I never failed to count those steps whenever I go up or come down, and it's still 33. So what's remarkable about it is that it's 22 feet tall. It makes two complete 360-degree turns in that space, so a full 720 degrees. And it's not braced against a center column. It has an open space in the center. It also coincidentally has 33 steps, and it reportedly was not built 
using any nails or screws. Instead, it said to use wooden pegs. Furthermore, when it was built, it did not have the rails that you see on it today. It was just bare stairs going up, circling up to the choir loft, which made it a little tricky to get up and down. Joe Nickel explains, Safety appears to have been a concern at the outset since there was originally no railing. At the time the staircase was completed, one 13-year-old sister who was among the first to ascend to the loft told how she and her friends were so frightened absent a railing that they came down on hands and knees. Nevertheless, despite the very real hazard, it was not until 1887, ten years after the staircase was completed, that an artisan named Philip Auguste Hesch added the railing. So they eventually had rails put on the staircase, which made it easier to get up and down on. And in later years, they also put up an iron bracket connecting the staircase to one of the columns supporting the choir loft. So that helped provide it with additional safety and stability as well. But that wasn't there in the beginning. It was just a freestanding set of spiral stairs with no railings and no connecting brace, all made with no nails or screws, just wooden pegs. What have modern experts said about the staircase? In 2018, there was a four-day conference held in Santa Fe by the Stair Builders and Manufacturers Association. And yes, there is a professional association just for stair builders and manufacturers. And while they were in Santa Fe, they couldn't miss out on examining the famous spiral staircase. An article from the Santa Fe, New Mexican reports, About 170 stair building professionals from around the world are congregating for a four-day conference at La Fonda on the Plaza, a confab highlighted perhaps by the opportunity to ponder the mystery of the corkscrew stairs within the Loretto Chapel. Stair building is what those who belong to the Stair Builders and Manufacturers Association do, but even the most analytical and skeptical were left to wonder exactly how the 33 helix-shaped steps of the miraculous staircase were designed. You get misty-eyed when you look at it. It's beautiful, said stair designer Patty Manigan, who works for Arcways, a Wisconsin staircase builder. I believe it's a miracle, added Arcways office manager Jill Lexander. At a Thursday night reception, scores of stair professionals set aside libations, drinks aren't allowed inside the chapel, and filed inside with cell phones and cameras to poke and pontificate on the finer points of the stairway. I wonder if they ever had a bunch of stair guys come in touching, how did they do this? How did they do that? Said Greg Chamberlain of Stair Builders, Star South Inc. of Eatonton, Georgia. We all like to think we create creative stair designs and nice curved staircases. But to think how they did it that long ago and still attain the same quality is breathtaking. Their staircase, apparently connected only with wooden pegs, has two 360-degree turns. Seattle-based stair design consultant Sean Christman said the structure bears distinct French design qualities he has seen in books. And those French design qualities will become important, so keep them in mind. Christman said he thinks it took at least a year and possibly two for one person to build the stairs. 150 years ago, it took a very well-trained, seasoned, experienced master craftsman, said Chrisman, adding the stairway could well be a melding of good design and divinity, if not precisely a miracle. We've been building them for centuries like this, he said. The fact that somebody showed up out of the desert might be a miracle, but he knew exactly what he was doing. The stairs still leave some engineers puzzled, said Bechtal, who was awarded a New Mexico Historic Preservation Award for her work on the Santa Fe Rail Yard. It's not clear even to them, the engineers, how they would do it, said Bechtal. 
Engineering challenges notwithstanding, industry professionals like Farrington, who first saw the stairs 15 years ago, gave some grudging nods to iterations of miraculous notions. As an engineer, it's tough to do that, said Farrington. It's a miracle that it's so lightly framed and still works. That's how I would look at it, as a miracle. Engineers can't see inside the stairway to see how it was assembled, but its light-framed wood construction probably would not meet today's building codes. Gunzel, in an interview before he viewed the stairs, said that if built today, the stairs would be constructed similarly to the original, which makes the chapel all the more impressive. Even in this current age, we would be pretty challenged to build that stair, he said. Still, many in the group were clear-eyed as they examined every inch of the design. Rafe Jones, with Shivano Architectural Millwork in Montrose, Colorado, said he saw a French influence, but was deferential on miracles. I don't want to diminish anybody's story, he said. It's not unusual. The French did it forever. The craftsmanship is incredible. Association President Gunzel came away from his viewing suitably impressed. It's pretty incredible, for sure, he said. But could today's builders recreate the miracle stairs? I think we could. It's definitely hard, Gunzel said. It comes back to making it stand and hold its own weight. So the current group of 21st century stair builders were extremely impressed, but they didn't think that the staircase was displaying supernatural qualities that we couldn't reproduce today. I thus don't think that the staircase itself is defying any laws of physics, though it is an extremely impressive feat of craftsmanship. Let's turn to the identity of the man who built the staircase. Could it have been St. Joseph or an angel? Or was it a mortal man from here on Earth? In any paranormal investigation, we need to consider and, if possible, eliminate normal explanations before we propose paranormal or supernatural ones. So we first need to consider whether we can identify any ordinary human beings before we consider a miraculous appearance of St. Joseph or an angel. Have there been any proposed candidates? Has anyone been able to name a 19th century man who might have built it? In fact, there has been more than one proposal. Unsolved Mysteries reports. Through the years, the mystery surrounding the staircase persisted. Then in 1965, Oscar Hadwiger, a third-generation master carpenter, visited the chapel. He went in and he saw the staircase, and of course he was overwhelmed. Being a builder, any builder is overwhelmed when they see this magnificent piece of carpentry. And he remembered a story in the family that his grandfather had come to this country and, and had built a staircase. Oscar's grandfather, Johann Hadwiger, was a renowned European carpenter who spent two years traveling and working in Colorado and New Mexico. It was during that two-year period that the spiral staircase was built. Oscar Hadwiger became obsessed with the staircase. Over the next 10 years, he created 10 perfectly scaled models. He sent a letter to the sisters contending that his grandfather had been the builder. The sisters were skeptical. The sisters uh, are indeed surprised, shocked at his claim all of a sudden. And uh, they, they tell him that perhaps he can't prove this claim and that if he can't prove it, it might be fraudulent. They have nothing except their word of mouth that he did it. I really can't. I don't buy it. 
In 1970, Oscar Hadwiger found what he felt was proof. In a storage room in his sister's home, he came across his grandfather's toolbox. Inside was a faded sketch of a spiral staircase. The drawing was an overhead view with 33 steps. Oscar Hadwiger passed away in 1980. The sketch was never authenticated and has since disappeared. All that exists today is this photocopy of the drawing. As for Johann Hadwiger's tools, they too have disappeared. So this proposal is that the staircase was built by an immigrant carpenter named Johann Hadwiger, who came from Vienna, Austria. But this claim is not particularly well supported. It was proposed in 1965, about 85 years after the staircase was built, so almost a century. It was based only on a family story reported by Hadwiger's grandson, Oscar. Um, the story just said that his grandfather had built a staircase somewhere after coming to America, not in the Loretto Chapel and not a spiral one. He later said he found his grandfather's tools, which have vanished. And he found a sketch of a 33-step staircase, but the sketch can't be authenticated because it also has vanished. So this is another case of Sherlock Holmes and the missing evidence, and that's always suspicious. If the Johann Hadwiger proposal is doubtful, have there been any other more promising proposals? Yes, by a woman named Mary Jean Straw Cook, who is an author and amateur historian. She appears in some of the Unsolved Mysteries clips we've heard, and in 1984, she published a book called Loretto, The Sisters and Their Santa Fe Chapel. But after publishing her book, she kept researching, and eventually she uncovered evidence about the identity of the man who built the staircase. Incidentally, Mary Cook investigated and tried to prove the Johann Hadwiger theory as well. In 1995, she told the New Mexican, I tried my darndest to prove his case, but I just couldn't, Cook said, of the Colorado claimant. The proof wasn't there. And over the years, several other families in Santa Fe and Colorado claimed that one of their ancestors built the staircase, but none of them had proof. So Cook kept researching, and in January of 1995, she hit pay dirt. It appeared that the name of the man who actually built the staircase was Francois Jean Rochas, and he went by the nicknames Frank and Frenchie. Like many people in 19th century America, he was an immigrant. He came from France, he arrived in the United States around 1880, and he would have been about 37 years old when the spiral staircase was built, so he wasn't an old man. What led Mary Cook to him was her discovery in the Santa Fe, New Mexican newspaper of his death notice. On January 5th, 1895, the Roundabout Town column reported that they had received a letter announcing Mr. Rochas's death. A letter from Las Cruces to Mr. Quintus Monier of date yesterday states that Frank Rochas was found dead at his ranch house near La Luz a few days ago. His friends believe that he was assassinated as previous attempts have been made. He was a Frenchman and was favorably known in Santa Fe as an expert worker in wood. He built the handsome staircase in the Loretto Chapel. So there we have a direct published statement indicating that Frank Rochas was known to have built the spiral staircase. 
The statement was published in 1895, which would have been about 15 years after the staircase was constructed, making it a near-contemporary account, not something that was speculated almost a century later. So this is a much stronger claim. Further, Cook's research turned up documents linking Rochas to the Catholic school system. In 1995, the New Mexican reported that after Rochas died, three unmailed letters were found in his one-room cabin. Two were to his brother and sister in France, but... One of those letters was addressed to Quintus Monnier, one of the church leaders in Santa Fe responsible for building chapels and schools. And you'll recall that it was Quintus Monnier who reported Rochus's death to the New Mexican. So someone in Las Cruces sent a letter to Monnier letting him know about Rochus's death, and then Monnier notified the New Mexican. So the claim in his death notice that Rochus built the staircase is doubly strong because it comes from Quintus Monnier, one of the church leaders in Santa Fe who was responsible for building chapels and schools. He would be one of the key people who knew who built the staircase. Also, in the letter to Quintus Monnier, Rochus asked about Mr. Baptiste Lamay, who was the local bishop, and about a man named Lacassange, a reference to Etienne Lacassange, who was prominent during the building of the chapel and other local Catholic buildings. So the Monnier letter links Rochas to the French Catholic prelate and the French workman he had brought to Santa Fe in Mary Cook's words. Furthermore, Mary Cook reported, The name of Mr. Rochas also appears in an 1881 day book or account book of the Sisters of Loretto at Narinx, Kentucky, site of the Loretto Mother House and Archives. Rochas is recorded as being paid $150 for work in the new school, meaning Loretto Academy. So when she checked with the mother house in Kentucky, Cook found that they had a written record of the Loretto nuns paying Rochas for work in 1881. Incidentally, the $150 he was paid in 1881 would be worth around $4,400 today due to all the inflation the government has caused. So it looks like people in Santa Fe knew, but eventually forgot that it was Rochas who built the staircase. Was Cook able to learn anything else about its construction and how it was made? Yes, after learning Rochas's identity, she took a number of trips to France to find out about his family and background. On July 14, 2002, the New Mexican reported, Rochas might have been a member of Las Compagnons, a centuries-old craft guild, that claims its early members built Solomon's Temple. Cook made contact with members of the guild and plans to return to Paris for further research. From the French guildsmen, however, another piece of the puzzle may be slipping into place. For a hundred years, people wondered how anyone could have built such a perfect, freestanding, double spiral staircase in the few short months the job is recorded to have taken, between the autumn of 1880 and the spring of 1881. The answer may be that it was designed and the wood pre-cut in France, shipped to Santa Fe, and assembled, Cook says. The French carpenters she spoke with all agreed that would have been a reasonable scenario. It also would explain why the Sisters of Loretto have no record of having paid for the staircase. It may have been paid for when it was purchased, perhaps by Archbishop Jean-Baptiste Lamy in France. In any case, Cook notes, the assembly almost certainly would have been done by several workers. Thus, the families who claim their ancestors built the staircase might all be correct. 
So the staircase may have been prefabricated and paid for in France, which is why the sisters didn't have a record of paying for the materials it was made of. They just paid Rochas for his labor during the months it was built. That record was then sent off to the mother house in Kentucky, and the locals in Santa Fe didn't know about it or remember it. Further, Mary Cook believes that she's learned the specific details of how the staircase parts got from France to Santa Fe. On June 9, 2002, the New Mexican reported, After seven trips to France to verify her research, Cook is convinced Loretto's technically perfect spiral staircase was actually first cut and prefabricated in France, then shipped over on the commercial cargo vessel SS Saint Laurent, traveled overland on the Atchison, Topeka, and Santa Fe Railroad to the depot at Lamy, New Mexico, which had just opened in January 1880, all the time accompanied by Rochas. Loretto's staircase was then assembled by Rochas between October 1880 and April 1881. The community of Lamy, New Mexico, is named, incidentally, after Archbishop Lamy. And although the newspaper didn't give details of how Cook came to these conclusions, they're pretty specific, even naming the cargo vessel that the parts were transported across the Atlantic on. So that suggests she found significant record, and it looked to her like Rochas accompanied the parts. So as part of his immigration to the United States in 1880, he already had his first job as a carpenter lined up, which would result in him being paid $150 to get him financially on his feet in his new homeland. Do we know anything else about Rochas and what happened to him after he built the staircase? He had been born in France in 1843, and he died the day after Christmas Day in 1894 at the age of 51. On July 14, 2002, the New Mexican reported, Rochas appears to have been a recluse, even before leaving his home country to work in New Mexico territory. He lived alone and did not get along with his father. However, he did maintain contact with other members of his family. You'll recall there were the two letters to his brother and sister that were found after his death, and he also corresponded with his aunt in France. In 1995, Mary Cook wrote for the New Mexican that... In 1888, Rochas purchased 400 head of cattle and six horses worth $4,120 for his isolated claim in the mouth of Dog Canyon, leading to the Sacramento Mountains. I don't know if those are in 1888 dollars or 1995 dollars. I suspect it's the former. And if they were in 1888 dollars, they would be worth $129,000 today. But either way, being able to buy 400 head of cattle and six horses is doing quite well for yourself, especially if you're a reclusive guy who lives in a one-room rock cabin in a place called Dog Canyon. Since the time of the early Spaniards, treacherous Dog Canyon was an escape route for Mescalero Apache Indians returning from raids in and around Tularosa Basin. Anyone attempting to track the Indians into the canyon received a hailstorm of boulders from the upper trail. It took an exceptionally adventuresome and brave man to have settled here. Rochus's death was not a pleasant one. He died a violent Old West-style death. On his tombstone, it reads, Gunned down at his rock cabin in Dog Canyon. Dog Canyon is located just south of Alamogordo, New Mexico, about 200 miles from Santa Fe. When tragedy struck, and Frank Frenchy Rochus was found dead the day after Christmas in 1894 by Dan Fitchett, 
and Oliver Lee Cowhand, any investigations were minimal. Rochus had been shot through the chest and a Winchester 44 lay nearby on the floor of the cabin. The coroner's jury of La Luz, a nearby village, ruled the gunshot wound self-inflicted. But his friends believed that he was deliberately killed, as there had been previous attempts on his life, as his death notice in 1895 stated. Similarly, on July 14, 2002, the New Mexican reported, Then there's the question of why and by whom Rochas was murdered in Dog Canyon. The death was ruled a suicide by the coroner, but Rochas, who ran cattle on his claim, was known to be reclusive and irascible. It also was known that 10 years before his death in 1894, he shot at and wounded a cowhand who he claimed was a thief. Rochas's death was just one of countless unsolved murders in the turbulent years following the Lincoln County Cattle Wars. So even if we solved the mystery of who built the spiral staircase, we still have another mystery in its place. Was the builder's death a suicide or a murder, and who killed him? Unfortunately, we may not get the answer to that mystery in this life. Now, what can we say about the spiral staircase from the faith perspective? Well, this is a faith-related mystery, but it turns out that it has a natural solution. The most sensational speculation that St. Joseph himself built the staircase turns out not to be the case. We have quite good evidence that it was actually Francois-Jean Rochas. However, that doesn't mean that the mystery is devoid of any supernatural element. If the part of the story is true, that the nuns did a nine-day novena to St. Joseph, and on the ninth day Rochas appeared, then that is consistent with this event occurring under God's special providence, and that there was a sense in which Rochas was acting on St. Joseph's behalf and was thus someone sent by St. Joseph. At the same time, I should say that there are other ways of looking at this. If Mary Cook's speculation that Bishop Lamy paid for the staircase in France and had it and Rochas shipped over, then that raises a question about whether the story of the Novena is true or whether it also is legendary. It wouldn't rule out the Novena. It could be that the nuns didn't know the staircase was coming, or it could be that they did know and were praying for Rochus's safe arrival, given the difficult and dangerous travel conditions at the time. I mean, after all, one of their own number got sick and even died on the way out to Santa Fe. So, Rochus's safe arrival with the staircase might have still been seen as a special form of providence. In any event, as always, we can remember to pray for all the individuals involved, and especially for the repose of the soul of Frank Rochus. It's a terrible thing to die a violent death without the sacraments and thus unshriven, unannealed, in Gilbert and Sullivan's word. So do say a prayer for his safe journey to heaven. Before we close today's episode, let's talk about what happened after the staircase was built. What happened with Bishop Lamy? Santa Fe had been elevated to the status of an archdiocese by 1875, which was actually while the chapel was still under construction. So Bishop Lamy became, uh, correspondingly, Archbishop Lamy. He continued to serve as the archbishop for another decade, and he retired in 1885 at the age of 70. He passed on due to pneumonia three years later in 1888 at the age of 73, and he's buried under the sanctuary floor in the cathedral he built. In 1915, they erected a statue of him outside the cathedral, and in 1927, the famous literary author Willa Cather published a novel that was a fictionalized version of his life. 
The novel is called Death Comes for the Archbishop, and it's about the life of Catholic clergy in early New Mexico. Incidentally, the New Mexico Territory became a state in 1912, so the novel covers the period when it was still just a territory. Death Comes for the Archbishop has been named several times as one of the top 100 novels of the 20th century, and it's still in print today, so you can easily read it for yourself, and I have Catholic friends who highly recommend it. And I should add that a lot of our patrons at StarQuest have read it because it was one of the benefits we made available for when uh, people could become patrons and we sent it as a gift. So it's quite pop. It was a very popular uh, uh-huh. choice. So it's an excellent novel, I, I've been told. So what about the chapel and the staircase itself? What happened to it in later years? In the 20th century, the story became famous. In 1995, Mary Cook wrote, The spiral staircase in the Chapel of Our Lady of Light first began to attract fame and legend during the early 20th century. In 1939, and again in 1957, Robert Ripley depicted the staircase in his Believe It or Not column after it was entered in a Ripley contest by Angela Guerin of Las Vegas, New Mexico. In 1990, the mystery of the staircase and its builder reached even greater dimensions after the presentation of a television segment on Unsolved Mysteries. And that's how I found out about it. When it comes to the school, the Loretto Academy, it eventually closed. It was merged with St. Michael's College in 1968 to make a new co-ed school that accepts both sexes, and afterwards it and the monastery were torn down, but the Loretto Chapel itself still stands. It's now privately owned and is used as a museum and a wedding chapel, so religious services still take place there when it's a wedding. And it and its impressive spiral staircase are a prominent tourist destination in Santa Fe. The Sisters of Loretto are also still active and will have a link to their website so that you can learn more about them. So, Jimmy, what's your bottom line on the Miraculous Staircase? The Spiral Staircase is an impressive structure. It's beautiful and an amazing work of craftsmanship. It was not built by St. Joseph or an angel. The evidence points to it being built by Frank Rochus possibly with the assistance of some other men whose families have reported that they were involved, like Johann Hadwiger, and it may have been built under God's special providence in connection with a novena said by the nuns. So, Jimmy, what further resources can we offer to the listeners and viewers? We'll have links to Mary Straw Cook's book, Loretto, the Sisters and their Santa Fe Chapel, the 2002 edition. Also, Alice Bullock's booklet, Loretto and the Miraculous Staircase. Joe Nichols' book, Real Life X-Files, Investigating the Paranormal, Willa Cather's book, Death Comes for the Archbishop, also the 1998 TV movie, The Staircase, as well as articles on the Sisters of Loretto, their website, the Loretto Chapel, Jean-Baptiste Lamé, the Los Penitentes Brotherhood, the Unsolved Mysteries episode, so you can see the whole thing for yourself, also information on spruce in the Carson National Forest in New Mexico, as well as a series of articles from 1995 and 2002 and 2018 in the Santa Fe, New Mexican. Excellent. So that'll do it from us this time. We would love to hear what your theories are about the Loretto Chapel, its spiral staircase, and who built it. You can let us know by visiting sqpn.com or the Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World Facebook page, sending an email to mysterious at sqpn.com, sending a tweet to at mys underscore world, or join the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord, or calling our mysterious feedback line at 
718-438-4515. That's 619-738-4515. And I want to say a special thank you to Dom's wife, Melanie, for lending her voice to the quotes by women. Also, special thanks to Oasis Studio 7 for their video and animation work on this episode. You can see their work by going to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Jimmy Aiken. Uh, they do a great job on the episodes. If you have any need for video or animation work, be sure to check out Oasis Studio 7. And while you're at YouTube, I am trying to grow my YouTube channel. We recently passed 30,000 subscribers, and I'm hoping to make it to 50 before too long, but that will only happen with the help of you, the viewers. So I'd ask you, if you could, please subscribe to the channel and hit the bell notification so that you always receive a notification whenever I have a new video, whether it's Mysterious World or something else. Jimmy, what's our next episode going to be about? Next week is the 59th anniversary of the John F. Kennedy assassination, which we discussed way back in episode 15. But I promised at that time that we would look at other aspects and theories of the case. So next week, we'll be looking at Lee Harvey Oswald and what may have been his first assassination attempt. Regardless of what involvement he may have had in the Kennedy assassination or may not have had, there is evidence that he may have been involved in an earlier assassination. So we'll be telling you about that and seeing what light it may or may not shed on the JFK assassination. Amazing. Be sure to follow Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, your favorite podcast app, or at youtube.com slash Jimmy Aiken, where, again, you should make sure to hit that bell to get notifications. You'll find links to Jimmy's resources from our discussion and links to the mysterious headlines on our show notes at mysterious.fm slash 232. And remember, to help us continue to produce the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World is also brought to you by Fairvento Law PLLC, now assisting clients with expungements and set-asides of Michigan convictions. To learn more, call 231-202-3321 or go to fearventolaw.com, F-I-O-R-V-E-N-T-O law.com. And by Deliver Contacts, offering honest pricing and reliable service for all your contact lens needs. See the difference at delivercontacts.com. Until next time, Jimmy Yakin, thank you for exploring with us our mysterious world. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to Jimmy Yakin's Mysterious World on StarQuest. If you've enjoyed Jimmy Yakin's Mysterious World, you'll also enjoy another StarQuest Network show, Raising the Bets. Find it wherever you can find podcasts or at sqpn.com slash bets. That's B-E-T-T-S. Howdy, folks. Thanks for sticking around to the end of the episode. I love reading old advertisements in magazines and newspapers to see how society has changed. As a special bonus, I want to share with you the advertisements that appeared on the same page as Frank Rocious's death notice in the New Mexican on January 5th, 1895, 128 years ago. So here we go. Awarded highest honors World's Fair, Dr. Price's Cream Baking Powder, Most Perfect Made. A pure grape cream of tartar powder, free from ammonia, alum, or any other adulterant. 40 years the standard. This cut represents Goebel's famous estate, Oak Heater. The most wonderful invention of the age. It burns either hard or soft coal, coke or wood, and will burn for 53 hours and 15 minutes. W.H. Goebel Hardware.
Simmons liver regulator, better than pills, as old as the hills and never excelled. Tried and proven is the verdict of millions. Simmons liver regulator is the only liver and kidney medicine to which you can pin your faith for a cure. A mild laxative and purely vegetable acting directly on the liver and kidneys. Try it. Sold by druggists in liquid or in powder to be taken dry or made into a tea. The king of liver medicines. I have used your Simmons liver regulator and can conscientiously say it is the king of all liver medicines. I consider it a medicine chest in itself. George W. Jackson, Tacoma, Washington. Every package has the X stamp in red on the wrapper. H.B. Cartwright and Brother, dealers in groceries, feed, and produce, fresh fruit and vegetables, confectionery, nuts, agency for dewdrop canned goods, patent imperial flour, Chase Sanborn's teas and coffees. Their bread, pies, and cakes can't be beat. Telephone number four. David Lewitsky, headquarters for furniture, new and secondhand, at bedrock prices. The highest prices paid for secondhand goods. Your furniture will be taken, overhauled, and repaired and sold on small commission. Give him a call before buying new or auctioning off your old household goods. Torturing disfiguring skin diseases instantly relieved by Cuticura, the great skin cure. Cuticura, the great skin cure, instantly allays the most intense itching, burning, and inflammation, permits rest and sleep, heals raw and irritated surfaces, cleanses the scalp of crusts and scales, and restores the hair. Cuticura soap, the only medicated toilet soap, is indispensable in cleaning diseased surfaces. Cuticura Resolvent, the new blood and skin purifier and greatest of humor remedies, cleanses the blood of all impurities and thus removes the cause. Hence, the Cuticura remedies cure every humor of the skin, scalp, and blood with loss of hair from pimples to scrofula, from infancy to age, sold throughout the world. Price, Cuticura, 50 cents, soap, 25 cents, Resolvent, $1. Potter Drug and Chemical Corporation, sole proprietors, Boston. How to cure skin diseases, mailed free. Ireland's Pharmacy, the leading drug house of Santa Fe, New Mexico. Stock new, fresh, and complete. Registered pharmacists constantly in charge, day or night. AC Ireland Jr., proprietor. Creamer's Apothecary, personal attention to prescription counter. Store telephone number 37, residence telephone number 24. Telephones sold outright, estimates furnished on private line and telephone equipments. Correspondent solicited, iSparks, Santa Fe, New Mexico. The U.S. government reports show royal baking powder superior to all others. At Stinson's Inferior Liquors, etc., next to Claire Hotel, west side of Plaza. Call up telephone number 99 when you have a telegram to send, and the postal will send a messenger for it at once. Thin or gray hair and bald heads, so displeasing to many people as marks of age, may be averted for a long time by using Hall's Hair Renewer. Find McBrayer Whiskey at Colorado Saloon. Wanted. Good milch cow. Apply John J. Ortiz. Telephone rates, commencing January 1st to Allerton, Bland, and Cirillos, will be 50 cents per conversation. And at present, Allerton and Bland can only be communicated with at 9 a.m., 12 noon, 3 p.m., and 6 p.m. For rent, one large, well-lighted, furnished room, Southern Exposure, convenient location to legislature. Inquire at this office.
The World's Fair tests show no baking powder so pure or so great in leavening power as the royal. And finally, a brief non-advertising notice. New Year's at Parkview. A correspondent of the New Mexican, writing from Parkview, Rio Arriba County, states that the New Year's services of the cathedral there were of a most imposing nature. The edifice was beautifully adorned, and the New Year's sermon by Reverend Father Gerond was well prepared and ably delivered. The music was of a soul-inspiring nature. The Adestes Fideles, sung as an offertory, was beautifully rendered, the various voices blending in exquisite harmony. 